What a privilege to be here. This is God's Word. And Nikki, you are better looking in person than on the screen. So Wanda, not sure what to say. Really is beautiful to be here on Easter Sunday and really incredible to see the top halves of your faces. And uh, to be together is just so special. And thank you so much to the teams. Um, on Wednesday, we dropped a message and we said, guys, it's happening. And everybody just uh, got involved and got stuck in. And thank you. And I think we deserve to give a round of applause to people who are around. who have done such an amazing job. And we're online, by the way. This is streaming, I believe. So welcome to everyone who's online and joining us. Why don't you shout hello on three so that they can hear that this is a packed and awesome place to be. One, two, three. Hello. Yoo-hoo. So um, it's Easter Sunday. It's the day we all long for. Get into the shoes of those three ladies as they're walking to the tomb. They're doing what is uh, kind of ceremonial. The thing you would do is to go and, and anoint this body that has now been there for two days. They are adrenalized. There's probably two main emotions they're feeling as they're walking there. The one is the emotion of exhaustion because they have been grieving for their lives and the life of Jesus, but also have been worrying for their lives. This is one of the things they've been facing is this concern because if the lead is gone, who are they going to come after next? Remember, they found the disciples hiding in an upper room a couple of days later. This was not an easy time. This wasn't just a sad time. It was a terrifying time. They had found the leader, and there was every chance they would systematically start dismantling this movement. So they've been hiding and they've been grieving because they lost their rabbi. They lost their friend. They lost their leader. They lost the one whom they believed to be the Messiah. Can you imagine how they wake up that morning? The sun is still coming up and it's early, early, early. They would have had puffy eyes. This was not the day you wanted to catch them and take an Instagram shot of them. They are exhausted. They are grief-stricken. They've been through the worst weekend of their lives. They're feeling the pain and the weight of loss. And they're probably trying to do this discreetly early in the morning when there is enough light to do this thing without having too many people to spot who's doing it. Just think about it. And so they get to this tomb. And there is not, in my opinion, not the slightest thought that they would get anything but a dead body. That's all they were imagining. And they get there and they get quite the opposite. They get these words from a man in a white robe, no doubt an angelic figure who says, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Can you imagine what might have happened inside of them as they look and they start to ponder. It says they fled, but what exactly were they feeling in that moment? Remember, Jesus had said this was going to happen, but, but to compute that somebody would say, I'm going to rise again whilst he says all kinds of other things, would have been so difficult to actually understand what he meant by, I will rise again. It would have been so figurative. It would have been so hard to compute. And so when they get to an empty tomb, I imagine the neurons are firing in their brain at a level they have never had before. And they flee to go tell the others. 
we've had a tough year. I think everybody in some way or another has felt the pain and the drain of what would probably be more like Friday than Sunday. The pain of so much of that sense of what I once hoped for, what I once expected has now been crucified, has been put to death, is no longer what I'd hoped for. And here we have the story of the very Son of God who on Friday is crucified. And now there is this deep concern, this deep pain. And they wake up to something so marvelous, beyond what we can imagine. I don't know what you would feel. I, I don't know if you've had certain moments that have been resurrection moments where you've kind of just, you were expecting the worst and you woke up one day or a moment happened and suddenly what seemed so bad had turned so good. Well, this is the story of Easter, when the very worst outcome turns into the greatest outcome ever. It's the story of God who is able to take the very worst of our lives, and as we walk with Jesus through his resurrection, he's able, uh, through his crucifixion, he's able to bring a kind of resurrection experience. I pray that for all of us. I pray that we don't try bypass Friday and just get to Sunday, which is the, the, the temptation for all of humanity, is to really just get the Sunday experience, get the resurrection experience. I just want to be happy. But Jesus sometimes calls us into the valley so that he can take us out the other side. He doesn't call us to bypass or ignore him, but to walk with him. And maybe some of us have been in valleys. I want to encourage you that you walk your valleys with Jesus because when you do it with him, and you walk with him on your cross experience, then you know that if you stick close to Jesus, your resurrection follows. It may take a day, an hour, a year, a decade, but he brings about life because that's who he is. Now, one of the interesting things is that sometimes we have subtle misunderstandings about Easter. I don't know if uh, this, any of these are true for you, but there are just subtle misunderstandings about the Sunday story, or actually the Friday Sunday story. Now, the one is this, is the kind of Cinderella theme. It's the sad to happy, rags to riches kind of experience, where basically we imagine that the Easter story is Friday was terrible and Sunday was great. It was a sad day on Friday and it was a happy day on Sunday. And so we know that God actually wins with happiness rather than sadness. And we kind of just paint the brush across Easter Sunday going, happiness wins, hooray! Or we go kind of the defeat to victory misunderstanding, which is God kind of lost control on Friday. He got beaten and lost. Unfortunately, he died. But hooray, Sunday's coming. In fact, last night at our, our kind of uh, bedtime, one of my daughters, I will not disclose who, we had beautiful prayer time, but it started like this. We have this moment of silence in our prayer times. This is uh, the favorite thing at the moment. So we go, Dad, can we do our thing? Yeah, sure. So we have a moment of silence. And then it goes like this. So God, your son is dead today. But don't worry, we know the story. He's coming tomorrow, and he's going to rise again. And there's this, like, I was giggling. I couldn't believe that was the story. So, God, your son is dead, but it's going to be okay. And we kind of maybe look at the Easter story a bit like that, like sad to happy or defeat. You lost, and you lost control, and then you kind of got the victory on Sunday. But actually, the Scriptures don't actually teach it like that. It, 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 it's not the way it works. In fact, the cross is the place where the victory happened. 
So Friday is victory day, actually. It's not defeat day. It wasn't the day that God kind of wasn't sure what was going to happen. It's the day that God had been planning for since the moment human beings turned their backs on him. He said, I will get you back, and I know how. And Jesus' life on earth is a very clear, focused picture of him going towards this cross, knowing that this is going to be how he ransoms humanity and how he beats sin and Satan and death that distorts our lives and distorts our experience of life. And he knew that it was when he went to a sacrificial death that he would beat death and darkness and sin and Satan and would ransom us to himself. Friday is victory day. Think of Colossians 2, which says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He beat death and darkness and sin and Satan on the cross. The cross wasn't lost day or defeat day. It was victory day. So then what's Sunday? Well, Sunday is proof day. It's validation day. It's victory day on Friday, validation day on Sunday. It's the, it's the moment that ratifies what exactly happened. Victory day on Friday, validation day on Sunday. Power day on Friday, proof day on Sunday. Love day on Friday, launch day on Sunday. The whole new world that God is beginning starts on Sunday. When God in his power breaks into this fallen world and he says the first fruits, the beginning of the new world that I'm creating has arrived. He is risen God is making a new heavens and a new earth, and the first fruits, the very beginning of that new heavens and new earth, has already been witnessed, has already broken into humanity. He rose again, and he is the first one of many to come. Isn't this lovely news? Isn't this super special? 1 Corinthians 15 says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. If you know anything about farming, especially in the olden kind of ancient times, there would be a couple of fruit that would show up first. They'd put it into a basket and they would say, this is proof of the more to come. This is proof, just a small sampling of the big harvest that is to come. And if they were Jewish people, they would bring those first fruits to God and they would worship him saying, the harvest is coming. Jesus, resurrection is the first fruits of the new world to come. The world that you and I long for, the world that Revelation 21 describes with no mourning and no sickness and no coronavirus and no tears and no pain and no sin and no Satan and no death. He's bringing that about and he has already started in his son. Wow, we have a prototype of the world to come who's broken into our world. Maybe it's, this could help you better understand a little bit of the Easter story. Imagine you have been defrauded of a lot of money. You are a super wealthy person, 100 million bucks. You once had it. And somebody that you knew defrauded you of all that cash. You take them to court, and you prove to the judge that this person took all your money. There's this amazing day that will come. It'll be called uh, the judgment day. And the judge is going to pronounce a judgment over this person, this perpetrator, this criminal. And what's interesting is he will, at one point, he will hammer down that hammer. And he will say a judgment. Let's say the judgment is this. You are 
not guilty. That perpetrator is guilty, and you are going to get all your money back. Victory! You've won the case. Then the judge carries on, and he pronounces judgment. And he says, here's how you're going to get your money back. In two days' time, 10 million bucks dropped straight into your account. Still 90 million to go, but 10 million is arriving. It's the first deposit. Great. You go, cool, 10 million, I can start with that. I had nothing a day ago. 10 million bucks, fantastic. And then you're going to get some installments, just uh, annual installments of 2 million. And then in about uh, 20 years' time, you're going to get the rest. 70 million bucks, boof, dropped into your account. And you'll have it all. You go, okay, I can deal with that. That's the judgment. The judgment has arrived. I have won the case. It's a little like the Easter story. The judge on Friday says, sin and Satan and death have been defeated by Jesus' beautiful victory on the cross. But Sunday is your first down payment. The big wad arrives and you go, he has won and the rest is coming. Isn't that a lovely feeling? The deposit, the start of the new heavens and the new earth has begun. Jesus is risen. Let me suggest two simple, uh, basically two and a half Simple implications for us this beautiful Easter. Firstly, the resurrection means that we live in two worlds. We live in two worlds. We live in two exact worlds, or two different worlds, but at the same time. I listened to uh, Derek Morphew, who says it like this. He says, the manifest presence of God in the future age, that's the age to come that Jesus has brought forward, in the future age, pours out of the inner sanctuary and covers those who still live in this age. It's a permeable membrane. Christians who understand the kingdom of God live hovering between two worlds. That that helps us to understand the world in which we live, which is shrouded with things like pandemics and viruses and pain and loss. But also there's beauty and celebration and power and transformation and the the hope of, of a life without death. There's this amazing sense of I'm stuck between two worlds and I don't know which one I'm in a lot of the time. And the Bible says you're in both if you're a follower of Jesus. You're part of the world to come and you're part of this world and you find yourself experiencing both. Derek Morphew says it again so beautifully. He says, this also makes us patient with what fails to happen. It's always here. It's almost here, it's delayed, and it's future. We live tasting, yet thirsting for more. Filled, yet hungry. Satisfied, and yet longing. Having all, yet needing all. Get used to it. It will not go away until the very end. Because he isn't just risen, he's coming back. And in between those times, we live in two worlds. It's a bit like getting married, and you've got two families. You, you, you once had one family, suddenly you, you, you've got two families, and you live between two worlds. It's an amazing and wonderful thing. Hey, Christianity is a bit like that. You're in the world God created, and you're part of the world God is creating. Secondly, the resurrection means that we should expect the age to come to break into this present age. This is important. You're on Easter Sunday, what we are looking at, especially in this text, is these three ladies who walk towards a tomb. And what did they expect? We don't know. We've got no idea what they might have thought they would get when they got to that tomb. But I don't know if they expected that they would see the first fruits of the new world to come, that Jesus had risen, that there was the beginning of this new kingdom had arrived into their world. I don't know. 
but it broke in. And I hope that you and I this Easter don't sit back and just expect the world to pass and that we live comfortably and get by until we pass on to be with our maker, but that we live a life knowing that there is a very thin membrane between the world in which we live and the kingdom of God, which is breaking in all the time. That's why we pray. That's why we're praying this week, and the very week we're praying to once again meet, and we're praying fervently, and we're asking God for specifics, and he opens the doors because he hears our prayers. Hey, we pray for stuff, and God listens. We expect the resurrection to to come about in our lives. Last quote from my friend Derek Morphew. Through Jesus, the powers of the future age have broken into the present and remain Coexisting with the present age, Christians live permanently caught between the two. We live in a truly mysterious dimension. The barrier between two time zones has been ruptured for us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't just look back at the resurrection. You also look at Pentecost, the story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which means that not only has Jesus risen and begun the new world, he's poured out the very same power that he rose uh, Jesus from, to life with has been deposited into us. We too, says the scripture, have a deposit which guarantees that we're part of this future world. I, I hope you, uh, you know Jesus. I hope you're following him. I hope that you've experienced something of the peace and the, the power of being part of this new world. I know we're living in two worlds, but when Jesus comes into your world, it's like everything changes. It's like the the world around us just gets given a whole new perspective. We see the work of God in it. We see the, the power of God to change our very broken hearts. We start to realize that he cares about just the basic details of each of our lives and who we're becoming and how we're living it's this incredible inbreaking, and we, we, we kind of look at it from the outside sometimes and think, could that even happen? Does, does God really love me? And when you say yes to following Jesus and you start to walk step by step with him, with the risen, resurrected Savior, it becomes self-evident that life without him is madness. Life without the peace and the power of the resurrected Lord is just absolutely unthinkable. We pray we watch God at work. We expect our hearts to change. We've watched this. We've experienced this. We've even had some wonderful prophetic words that this community, after lockdown, is going to be a community of people who grow in prayer, who grow in the ability to know and enjoy the presence of God, what it means to be with Him and to be submerged in His Word and to take His Word, uh, to take God at His Word and to trust Him. Hey, the, the Common Ground Church Bloberg that's emerging from lockdown is going to be firmer stronger, more secure in the love and the promises of God than the one that entered it. Because he's doing stuff. He's working in us. He's at work. The the risen, resurrected Savior is piercing into our hearts with beautiful work and love. And that's why we continuously pray, Holy Spirit, come fill me. Because Ephesians says, invite the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit continuously. Walk with the Spirit. That's why we expect God to shape our identity. Never in my life of 38 years have I experienced so many identity crises in such a short time, crises in such a short time. People wondering, who am I? What makes me valuable? Who, what am I doing in the world? And in this beautiful story of the resurrected, risen Savior comes a new person. 
the ability to continuously know you're starting fresh in him, that there is the possibility to live in a new kingdom with a new king who keeps every day waking you up and saying, you're my son, you're my daughter with whom I am well pleased. We've lost that. We've missed it. I pray that we as a community, and by the way, May is Identity Month. We're doing a four-week preaching journey through identity, and we are going to learn freshly who God says we are, what the scriptures teach us about who we are after having our identity battered for 12 months, after having many things looking at us and saying, who are you? What makes you valuable? We're going to discover the resurrected Savior and what he says about us. Third and final thought is that today, through the resurrection, we've got hope. We've got hope. And we need it, right? We need hope. We need to know that he is the one who gives us hope. I can't go uh, past an Easter. Every time I preached Easter, which has been most Easters for the last 10 or 15 years, I can't not tell the story. I can't not remind myself and everybody who I get to speak to that 18 odd years ago, I was in my own little tomb. I was lying in a tent. I was hungover from the addiction to the appreciation and the affirmation of people. I was hungover from substance abuse. I was hungover from chasing after relationships and chasing after some sort of love that I could find in some space, chasing after a career that I thought could somehow make me happy, validate me. Chasing after physical strength that I thought would somehow make me feel better. I'm lying in a tent in a little place called Hunklip. Forgive me if you've heard it. I hope it's still fresh to you. And I get a phone call from my mum, and it's so simple. Happy Easter. She didn't even need to say, He is risen. She didn't need to tell me the story of the gospel. She just needed to say happy Easter and flooding into that little broken person came the story of love, came the story of the goodness of God that he doesn't give up on broken things that he makes. He comes to love and to fix and to transform and he loves before he fixes. And he cares before he transforms. And he literally, it felt like he physically picked me up. And I remember those words that he said on the cross, it is finished. Felt like if I could have ever, which I haven't, audibly heard God, it was that Sunday morning. And I felt like I heard, it is finished. And it was as though the chasing after all the stuff that would make this little heart satisfied just ended in a moment. I drove back from Hunclip along that beautiful coast road and I knew that it was finished. I'd heard the gospel sufficient times to know basically that he loved me and that I had started afresh and the world was different. That the risen Savior had somehow penetrated this broken heart and was starting a new work. Freshness was starting, and I'm hungover from all sorts, and I'm in a car with all kinds of broken stories, and yet I looked out over that blue sea, and I just knew he is risen, and he's rising up inside of my heart, and he is starting something new. 
And I really pray that this Easter, that we would recognize that he's doing something new in each of us. And that we wouldn't rush past the Easter story, but we would let him do something fresh in each of us. We wouldn't rush past Friday either. We revisit Friday and we revisit Sunday almost every single day of our lives. The broken parts and the pain, and we hold on to Jesus, and then we see some sort of resurrection. It's often a resurrection of faith or trust or prayer or whatever it may be, and the cycle continues. Friday, Sunday, victory, validation, power, and then just beautiful proof, and we get to continuously move through this. Hey, my prayer this Easter is that we would enjoy that he is risen and that the power of the resurrected Savior would live in us. And if you're new to faith or new to the story, that even today, you would simply pray that simple prayer. I don't even know what I said, but I didn't know what to say in my tent because he was listening. All I think I said was, here I am, would you have me? And it was a, it was a rhetorical question because I knew he wanted me. I knew what he had done on Friday, and I knew that he had proved it on Sunday. And life was available for me, and life's available for us. And I pray this Easter we would enjoy that life. Let's pray. Tasha is going to lead us in a song. And I think that song is going to be filled with great faith as we just thank God for his unbreaking life. Jesus, you won the battle on Friday, and you showed us the new world on Sunday. It's a world we can't wait to explore. It's a world that's broken into our worlds right now. You're joining us into the story of making things new. You're often starting with our own hearts, making us new people, helping us to follow you and to, to learn uh, the, the wonder of following you, helping us to take the light burden and the easy yoke. Oh God, sorry this Easter Sunday, how often we take the heavy burden and the difficult yoke upon ourselves, the difficult burden of being in control, the difficult burden of trying to control other people and outcomes, the difficult burden of trying to get people to like us as an outcome of our lives, the difficult burden of worrying more about our careers and our financial uh, bank balances than we need to, the unnecessary burdens of trying to keep our lives together when you hold all things together by the power of your mighty word. Today on Easter Sunday, there is no better day for us to hand things back to you, to remind ourselves that, yes, we live in two worlds, but we expect that your world will break into ours regularly, often, as we pray, as we trust you, as we invite you into all situations and circumstances, you are at work. We thank you for that. Jesus, as we sing, I pray that this would be a, a symbolic experience actually a genuine experience of you in breaking by the power of your spirit. I wonder if we could stand together just for a moment. Maybe just take a moment to, to eyes closed to just uh, reflect. Step in the shoes of those who witnessed an empty tomb. Then look at the tombs maybe of your own life. The things that just feel dead and difficult. And I wonder if you would just figuratively hold on to Jesus' hand freshly. Just hold on. Maybe you want to put your hands out and open them out or close them over Jesus' 
whatever it means for you to just hold on and to remind yourself that He is risen. You look into an empty tomb and then you look into the eyes of a risen Savior and you realize that He brings life. Jesus, we trust that in each of these hearts we would experience your life and experience your joy and as we sing together that this would be a a together corporate family experience of saying we are together. We, we hold one another. We've got one hand on you, Jesus. We've got another hand on each other as we love each other forward into your kingdom, as we love each other forward into the plans you have for us. Thank you that you're breaking in. Break in now even as we sing. You're so good to us. We love you, Jesus. Let's sing.